fashion industry we know is one of the top polluters, particularly when it comes to water. Uh, in terms of our consumption, though, we're, we're consuming 60% more clothing today than we did 20 years ago, and we keep our clothes for half as long. It was in 1983. The clothing industry was still quite normal. We would make a summer collection and a winter collection. But in my lifetime, I've seen it explode to, if you don't make 52 collections a year now, you don't sell anything. So that's called fast fashion. And because of fast fashion, we're continually, you know, purchasing our garments. They're not necessarily the best quality. And when we're done with them, for the most part, they end up going into landfills. So roughly 85% of our unwanted textiles are ending up in landfill. And for every one kilogram of clothing made from natural fibers, there's about four kilograms of CO2 emitted. And then there's methane on top of that. Synthetics, that's petroleum, that's plastic. They don't break down at all. And then so many clothes are produced in countries that have lax environmental regulations. So toxic dyes made with mercury and cadmium and lead flow directly into rivers. So this isn't an issue of one day fashion will cause a huge problem. Like this is already happening. This is the Down to Earth podcast. This podcast is about extraordinary ideas for a better world. My name is Elise Epp, and I'm the graphic designer at the International Institute for Sustainable Development. This episode is about sustainability in the clothing industry and how years of overconsumption and unsafe manufacturing has led to a counter industry striving to do clothing better. I was always interested in making my own clothes. My mom sewed for me a lot when I was growing up. And then when I was in university, she gave me my own sewing machine, which she didn't know if I would ever use. <laughs> um, and I always preferred shopping at smaller boutiques and stuff. Then the really pivotal moment for me was when Rana Plaza collapsed in April of 2013. It was a, a building in Bangladesh that housed several garment factories and the building was known to be structurally unsound but the workers were forced to go to work that morning anyways and then it collapsed killing over a thousand people and injuring thousands more and there was a particular photo of two dead bodies in the rubble holding each other and I just, I haven't been able to get that image out of my head ever since. After that, I remember walking into Joe Fresh on Queen Street in Toronto, and I was a poor musician living in an expensive city, and I just wanted to buy a cute thing for cheap. But every time I looked at a garment, I had flashbacks of these images that I'd seen of Rana Plaza and I just I just couldn't do it and I I left the store. Then in 2014, I made a pledge to only buy ethical clothing or make it myself. Since then my criteria have shifted certainly as I've become more aware of the various issues at play and I have become more and more aware that nothing is going to be perfectly ethical or sustainable. 
I started being interested in this area because I was most concerned about the treatment of the workers, but the environmental impact has become has become a lot more important to me over time. What I sort of love in particular about fashion, because there's so many things to be, you know, a passionate advocate for in trying to make the world better. But what I really love about clothing is that everyone wears it. It's something that we all do, even if we're not like into fashion, at least most people wear clothes. And there are so many problems that feel overwhelming that it's like the earth is getting warmer. It's like, well, I don't know what to do with that. But the fashion industry affects so so many of these big issues, but it's such a tangible thing that you can do to be better. The price of clothing is rising slower than the rate of inflation. And in some cases, the cost of clothing is actually going down. So a pair of Levi's jeans that, you know, 20 years ago cost $50, now cost $46, and nothing else is going down in price. <laughs> How did we get here, essentially? Trade deals that changed in the 90s got us here. That's probably actually the biggest one. The conditions of the garment industry in Bangladesh are in general amongst the worst in the world. Despite a hike in the minimum wage in 2010, workers' wages start at 3,000 taka a month just $36. Trade deals changed to make it a lot easier to manufacture clothes internationally. How much they get paid a month? 4,000. 4,000. On this wage of $50, the workers cannot provide for themselves and therefore lodge with their uncle. Their family of 10 can afford one small room in which to cook, sleep and live, taking turns in the single bed. A street of a dozen such families share one toilet and water supply. So that meant that instead of it being, you know, an incentive to produce your clothes in the United States, suddenly there's there's no reason to do that. The tariffs are lower, the taxes are lower. You might as well get it made for dirt cheap somewhere else. We didn't have time to have a break. Even if we wanted to take a pee, it wasn't allowed. Some of us would pee under the machine. She says the bosses and so that that enabled this sort of drive for less drive for paying their workers less it it just sort of opened the floodgates for all that the bosses would touch and grab them inappropriately it was very upsetting and disturbing to see there are an overwhelming number of companies who are trying to make clothing better there's Swedish Stockings, which makes nylons from recycled materials. There is Veja, which makes sneakers from organic and fair trade cotton and natural rubber. And people think that they can't shop sustainably because the options aren't there. But in most categories, it's actually the opposite. I wanted to create a company where we would make garments in a proper way. So by using uh, organic cotton, by using non-toxic uh, ways of dyeing uh, things, by paying people uh, a living standard of uh, income making the jeans. Bert van Son is the founder of Mud Jeans, uh, which is a sustainable clothing company based in Amsterdam that specializes in denim. I chose to focus on Mud Jeans because of the breadth of their sustainability efforts. No sustainable business is going to be perfect, but 
mud touches on so many. They they ship their jeans in reusable packaging. They recycle their cotton into new denim. Any new cotton they add is organic cotton. But that wasn't good enough. I also wanted to be responsible for the products we put into the market. So that means for us that we would like to get the jeans back after use. And another another really big thing about mud jeans is that they have created their lease a jeans program. And through this program, you can rent a pair of jeans for a year. And then when you're done with them, or at the end of the year, you either keep them in the yours or you return them and you can rent another pair of jeans. So you get a 10 euro discount when you bring back your old jeans. If you want to keep them longer, keep them longer, but you pay in 12 times. So it's 29 euro as a membership fee and then 750 a month. And you can lease up to three jeans and after one year, you don't need to pay the 29 euro anymore. So it's, it's an ongoing recurring model. One thing I find interesting about the way Mud Jeans has approached this is that they are meeting consumers where they are. And nowadays that means people who are used to buying things often and cheap and you know wearing them for a short period of time and getting, then getting rid of them. And Mud comes in to say, okay, we know that you aren't buying a pair of jeans necessarily thinking that you're going to wear them for the next 10 years. So we're going to fix that that particular problem. We're going to take them back. And so far, they've taken back over 12,000 pairs of jeans to turn right back into, into new, new pairs of jeans. They also resell jeans that come back to them after one year and are still in great condition. They can resell those as, you know, secondhand vintage jeans. So why did you decide, like when you were starting Mud Jeans, why did you decide to focus on jeans? Well, jeans is, uh, uh, first of all, the, the largest item in, in clothing. I mean, everybody has a pair of jeans. And secondly, it's it's the biggest polluter in the garment industry. When you start off with the cotton, cotton itself is, is called the dirty crop. Uh, a lot of pesticides are used, takes a lot of water to grow. It's mostly done in, in pieces of the world where water is very scarce. So cotton is, is a big problem. Secondly, the chemicals needed to dye the cotton and to to bleach the cotton, there is a big problem there. Then when you start making jeans, you need indigo, which is a very toxic dye stuff. We use a cradle-to-cradle certified indigo, which is non-toxic. My jeans also addresses their environmental impact in a a variety of other ways. To produce one pair of mud jeans, they use 1,500 liters of water compared to an industry standard of 7,000 liters for a pair of jeans. For packaging, they use Repack, which is a reusable and returnable packaging that is meant to be used about 20 times and you can either send it you know back and forth between you know the same co- company and and you as the consumer or you can just ship it back and get a discount on other companies that use repack so it's really encouraging multiple use packaging then if you cut and sew the jeans after it, people want them to have this used look so there's all kind of chemicals and spraying with uh, sandblasting, things like that needed to give it this look. So in every step, when you make a pair of jeans, everything goes wrong if you do it uh, the old-fashioned way. There are lots of very toxic chemicals used to distress denim. And mud jeans have replaced these with non-toxic alternatives using lasers and ozone. And I wanted to 
recycle the cotton because it's it's uh, already known for a long time, for instance, in the paper industry that you can recycle paper. Mm. This is already we're doing it for 70 years, but cotton is sort of still uh, burnt or thrown away after use. In some ways, most impressively, they are working on the technology to make jeans from 100% recycled cotton. So far, that isn't there because uh, recycled cotton fibers are much shorter, and so that just makes them not as strong. So they need to still work to make this possible, but they are really pushing the innovations to make sustainability possible. And why is it called mud? Mud is mud, like um, the water, sand, and clay, and it's it's a very circular stuff because stuff it can also be always be reused. You can put it on your face and, and put it into water and it becomes always mud again. So it's, it's one of the most circular things I know. Circular design means taking into account not only how your product is going to be used sort of the first time, but also how it can be broken down and remade into something else once its first life is over. And the difference between circular design and just recycling is that there's no degradation through its multiple lives. For instance, like if some garments are turned into insulation once they're no longer wearable, that insulation isn't then made into like a coffee cup or like it's not made into something equally useful. It's then just sort of done. So it only has a second life. It doesn't keep in that circle. There's a saying that waste is a design flaw. So you need to think about sustainability from the design stage, because one challenge is that it's difficult or impossible to recycle mixed materials. So in the case of clothing, you'll often see on on your tag, like 45% cotton, 55% polyester. This inherently can't be like reclaimed, recycled into fabric again, because those fibers have been blended together. And adding recycled bottles to jeans is great for the first use but then those genes have mixed fibers and can't be recycled again so circular design is you put in the raw materials once and then you can pretty much endlessly reuse them I think, you know, Mud Jeans is a great example of a denim brand that's doing some great things. And when I, you know, mentioned progress, they need to be celebrated for what they're doing. Kelly Drennan is the founder and executive director of Fashion Takes Action, which is a nonprofit organization that works to advance sustainability in the fashion industry. Kelly works on the research and advocacy side of the fashion industry. So I knew that she'd be able to provide some of the much needed context in which Mud Jeans is working. Um, I think, you know, River Blue, which is actually a Canadian documentary, really sort of opened a a lot of people's eyes to denim and leather because they're both, you know, quite toxic, polluting industries. There is a joke in China. They say that you can predict the it color for the season by looking at the color of the river. And, you know, the process of making our, our jeans requires so many chemicals. If you travel where most of the world manufactures, you end up with having rivers that are turning blue. And because our jeans are often made in developing countries where they have really lax environmental laws, 
um, the wastewater uh, from the manufacturing process of denim is often just dumped into the local rivers and waterways and polluting what is the only fresh water source for potentially millions of people. And it's even making its way into the food chain. So it's quite alarming. In 2007, Kelly started Fashion Takes Action to both help the apparel industry to become more sustainable, but also to educate youth about how their clothes are made. And so her approach to improving the sustainability of the the apparel industry has been really about, you know, connecting and motivating businesses and then also trying to get to the new generation of consumers. And their approach is to celebrate progress, not perfection. There are so many brands who are starting to make progress, even if they aren't ones that we would necessarily celebrate as sustainable yet, they are making those steps. And so through Fashion Takes Action, they want to support sort of each step along the way. I think that there's been some really great examples of innovation and technology, particularly with respect to denim. A lot of really great collaborations are happening and a lot of brands are also starting to look at upcycling and repurposing denim. Um, there's a brand, a Canadian brand called Triarchy. They're also doing some really great things and looking at using less water. And then there's another company called Genealogia, and they've managed to figure out a way to uh, give our genes that distressed look, but without using um, the energy and the water and the chemicals that normally required um, to get that look. So it's an exciting time, I think, for denim. Um, but we still have a long way to go. So Fashion Takes Action, you are um, working to, you know, educate, as you say. So what are the challenges in in addressing these problems? Well, I think the biggest challenge is convincing consumers to change their behavior, you know, and once we're adults, that becomes very difficult. And research shows that, you know, only when we have had sort of significant um, life-changing experiences that could mean Um, somebody close to you gets sick, Um, perhaps you even have children, that's an entry point for a lot of people to adopt a more sustainable lifestyle. But it's typically, it's very difficult. We're programmed to shop. And so for us, that's one of the reasons that we started our youth education program, because we realized that if we can actually connect um, with young people before they're consumers and help them understand the full supply chain and who makes our clothes and the inputs that go into making our clothing, then by the time they are actually consumers and they're out in the world making purchases, that they'll think twice and maybe make more responsible decisions. Kelly had several suggestions for building a more sustainable wardrobe. There's also really great apps available, like Good On You is a great app that you can download for free and you can actually see how they rank brands according to things like um, chemicals and labor and waste. And she emphasized that there are more ways to contribute than just buying new things from sustainable companies. The new sort of new business models that are emerging are really great as well. And you see some brands that are starting to do rental subscriptions. She's a big proponent of thrifted and repurposed clothes. There's also re-commerce where they're taking back their old uh, items and then reselling them as thrifted at at a reduced price. It's about buying less and buying secondhand. You're also seeing collaborations with brands and companies like the Renewal Workshop where they'll actually clean and fix damaged products um, and then the retailer or the brand can sell them at a reduced price. Slowing down, thinking about what you're buying, whether you really need it, how often you're going to wear it. And then when you do need to buy something new, 
do your homework. See if the brand has any sort of sustainability initiatives on their website. If they don't even mention it at all, probably they don't have a plan. I'm moderately hopeful that we can solve some of these big problems in the fashion industry. Consumers are already asking for changes on a large enough scale that companies are taking notice. This often comes across as token projects or greenwashing, for instance, H&M having a sustainable collection when their entire business model is based on pushing out as much product as possible, which is inherently unsustainable. But they're doing this because customers are asking for it. And that means that customers are becoming more aware and more picky about how their clothes are being made. But the big change won't happen if it's left entirely to the marketplace. There still needs to be much more government support, both in regulating unsustainable and unethical practices and supporting businesses that are doing the innovative work to become more sustainable. What struck me when I spoke to Kelly was how enthusiastic people are once they learn about how they can be more sustainable. I've seen this on a small scale in my own community and conversations, but to hear what she gets to hear from businesses and youth, once they know what's happening, they're just so eager to, to do something. And that's really encouraging. It's so hard to get out of your routine of, you know, where you buy your clothes, where you get your favorite pants or shirts or whatever. I hope that people will take the first step and just Google sustainable alternatives to the things that they love to see what their alternatives are. Thanks for listening to Down to Earth, a podcast from the International Institute for Sustainable Development. IISD is an independent think tank that delivers the knowledge to act. Through research, science, and analysis, we tackle the root causes of some of the greatest challenges facing our planet today. Find out more at www.iisd.org. This episode was created by Elise Epp, with special thanks to Bert Van Son, Kelly Drennan, and Christina Larea. Down to Earth is produced, edited, and mixed by Carmen Clausen. Find more episodes at iisd.org slash podcast. If you have questions about what you just heard, other thoughts about this episode, or ideas for a future episode, tweet us at iisd underscore news. Down to Earth.